drives me the most nuts about it is a lot of the guys are overrated as it is. They're, they're ranked high because when they were, you know, 12 years old, they were 6'3", 250 pounds, and they're bigger than everybody else, right? So they're five stars since they were in eighth grade. So from eighth grade to their senior year of high school, well, everybody's kissing their butt, you know, telling them how great they are. So they get to college, and they're, might, they're not even that good, but because they think they are because they've been told that, once they don't play, they're like, oh, I'm gone, and they leave, right? So that's what – it's becoming an issue. Um, it's good the players get paid, but it's still, to me um, – it's crazy. Like, working in college football is crazy right now. Welcome to the Willpower Podcast, where we uncover the secrets of success and share the wisdom of exceptional individuals. I'm your host, William Gomez, and as a real estate professional, I bring you insights from the world of real estate and beyond. Join me as I engage in captivating conversations with incredible guests from diverse backgrounds and industries, from top real estate moguls to trailblazing entrepreneurs and influencers. We dive into the mindsets and habits of successful people. If you love what you hear, don't forget to rate and review. Get ready to be inspired, motivated, and enlightened. Live life today on willpower. All right. Cole Brown, thank you so much for being here, dude. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Dude, I want to start off by uh, by recognizing that you and I met at a networking event. Yes. And let me ask you, do you think we would ever be here if I would have given you a business card probably not honestly i remember you posted a story of us and i went back the next day i was like oh that was a good guy i'm gonna go uh, follow him and then uh obviously that led to me dming you and, and here we are so thought that was um a lot more efficient than the business card approach so i've done different podcasts on the power of social media the power of networking now in 2024 2023 you know yeah um and i think i, I just wanted to point that out because so many people are are very like, oh, I got to go to this networking event. Yesterday, yeah. you and I had lunch, and we talked about like, yes. hey, here are some best practices to to you know network better and, and everything. But if you're in a sales position, you think of like networking as a job, yeah. which it is a job, but you're just like oh, kind of like checking something off yes. off a list. And so you go, you take your your <laughs> you know your ten twenty business cards, and then and then you start. You can't even have like a a real authentic conversation with somebody because you're just like chomping at the bit of like, here's my business card. Here's my business card. And, uh, and then, so for me, I just focus on having genuine conversations with people and then, and then from there connecting with them online. And then that story that I did, what did it do? It sent you a message right away. So then from there, it, it, it creates opportunity to actually make a connection. So super, I just wanted to point that out that that's how we met. For anybody listening that's still on the verge of like, man, I need to do social, or they think I'm doing social, but I think I'm going to stop because it's not for me, yeah. right? So for people that haven't heard your name, give us a little one-minute introduction. Yeah, so I'm Cole Brown. Uh, actually, I'm new to the area. Um, short, uh, I guess long story short, my background is football. I've lived all over the country. I grew up in Missouri, then moved to uh, Kentucky, then Nashville for high school. Then after college, I've been in five different states, five different years, uh, all over the place, I uh, worked at East Tennessee State, Michigan State, uh, the New York Giants, um, and Auburn, and now I'm here. So um, completely new transition for me, um, but I'm enjoying being somewhere for more than you know one year now, so it's nice. Yeah, and now you're a financial financial planner, yes. and we kind of talked a little bit about um, kind of mixed the two, and I was like, I got, I you know, I left. We didn't talk about a podcast at all, yeah. and I was like, man, that, that would be a really cool conversation to kind of get some behind the scenes, and then also just some basic information at a individual that's making a ton of money you know we talked about um the if you are on the roster on an nfl team 
you're making a minimum of about a million dollars. Is that correct? Yeah, you're making, yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's yeah, about 600000 plus minimum per year. And yeah. then to now, people that you're helping, everyday people that you, you said, you know, uh, a couple that's making, let's say, $80,000, yeah. which if you're living in Tulsa, Oklahoma, if you're a family making $80,000, living great. Yeah. you're doing pretty good. Yeah. So um, as opposed to like New York, which you've lived yeah. before, I, I would say that that would equate to about 300 350,000 or oh, so yeah, we're talking yeah. about Brock Purdy um <laughs> who people that don't know who he is he's actually the quarterback that's going to be um playing uh in the Super Bowl this year and um he's making like $350,000 a year yeah no in San Francisco yeah which is crazy um because all taxes and everything so yeah it is uh but he'll get paid here soon so just a couple more years of that that low pay and then he'll be He'll be getting paid. And somebody like that, do you think, how much money do you think he's actually making? Because he's he can make whatever picking up deals from, like, sponsored stuff, right? Yeah, so he can do both. Um, so I would say, obviously, the taxes and things like that, he's probably making roughly, you know, around what you know, his contract states. But with the endorsements now, especially because he is kind of blown up and he's like a top 10 quarterback now and everyone, you know, now I saw an article recently that, you know, Matt Rule, the former Carolina Panthers head coach, was like, I knew he'd be great. You know, I called and I told the Panthers to look at him. Uh, which, you know, who knows if that's true or not. But uh, I'm sure he's getting tons of endorsement deals and things like that. So I'm sure he's making a lot more than what we think he's making. What do you think somebody like that is making, like just from endorsements? Ooh, he's definitely at least making a million, I would say, from endorsements easily. Dang, that's, that doesn't seem like a ton, though, for somebody like that. I would say for him, I mean, as a, he was Mr. Irrelevant, last pick in the draft uh, two years ago. So for if I was him personally, I'd be happy with it because, you know, he was expected to be a third quarterback maybe and not even, you know, make a roster, you know, go, you know after year one, two, three, right? So for him, I'd be counting my blessings. But I think, again, long term, I'd probably get paid like a top 10 quarterback and it'd be all right. Which that's another thing that we talked about. You said that part of your transition from the role that you had, which explain to me a little bit of the role that you had yeah. at, at all these – different uh uh football teams that you were a part of yeah so when i was in the college ranks so at uh, auburn and michigan state i was the assistant director player personnel right so i was like the number two on the personnel side so that's with recruiting players scouting players essentially team building right um so it's cool but also nowadays with the nil and the transfer portal and everything it's it's nuts right now there's it's not about relationships anymore it's just who can pay somebody the most right um and then in, in the nfl i was a college scouting assistant um, so I did a lot of like the grunt work, you know, that no one wants to do um, a lot of long hours, but it was unique uh, with the Giants, probably the only role in the NFL where when you're in that position, I actually got 26 schools on my own. So I went out and scouted 26 schools on my own was out every single week for the full weeks. Um, <clears throat> I think I scouted over 200 plus players that year. So guys like Isaiah Pacheco, that was a guy I evaluated. Um, there was a guy, um, he actually starts, I'm blanking on his name, but he went to uh, Villanova, starts for the Bills now. He's number 47, blanking on his name right now. But uh, So I had a couple guys in the Northeast that are actually pretty good players now that I actually got to watch, um, have my evaluations. And I actually had a draftable grade on Isaiah Pacheco for anyone wondering, and I can prove that, obviously. But, yeah, he's obviously turned out to be a very good player. So I'm happy for him. He's been through a lot, but, um, you know, happy it's working out for him. So... Do you have to earn these schools as, as the, the position that you had with the Giants, or how does that work? Yeah, so great question. So that's why when I mentioned it's kind of a unique role. So majority of the time when you're a scouting assistant, right, you're doing just grunt work. You're helping with the pro side of things. Like, so it's college scouts and pro scouts, right? Pro scouts are the ones that are evaluating all current NFL players, all the free agents. Um, they're not doing anything with the college ranks, right? So normally when you're a scouting assistant, you're helping out with their advances, like their prep for your week, because they also help with the coaches with advances and 
game prep, essentially, um, that's all you do. You don't leave the office. You don't do anything, right? In my role, which I think it's literally the only time there's it's ever been done in the NFL where a co- or it's college scouting assistant, got 26 schools, went on the road by himself for the full fall. Um, also, I, ran, I went to 11 pro days, actually ran two pro days by myself. So it's Stony Brook. Um and uh, Delaware, so it was pretty crazy to see that you know experience, and I was obviously nervous being I was 25 years old, and you know, knowing people in my shoes aren't doing that, right? Um, but it was a cool experience, unique, and um, definitely a dream come true when I was there. Something that we talked about that you just mentioned again that things changed the game whenever the NIL and the transfer portal stuff happened, yeah. um, and you know, we were talking about Brock Purdy like counting his blessings, like a million bucks. Like he has, he's he he has a roommate right now, yeah. which is it's still like insane to me. But, um, so That's smart, yeah. So so I was telling you about you know you said that about probably the top what one or or two players of each D one college is getting paid like millions. I would say so millions. So yeah, so I would say. In the Power Five, you know, realm of things, especially the Big Ten and the SEC, especially now with the whole mergers where, like, Oregon, USC, UCLA, they're going to the Big Ten, and then the SEC is getting Texas and Oklahoma, right? So I would say the top players every single year in those teams are getting significant money, right? Now, every team's NIL funding is different, but for them to keep the players, because now if they don't get paid, they can go leave and go to Bama or somewhere that will pay them, right? So I would say the top players and then the top high school recruits, um, like for the top, you know, 50 to 100 players, those guys are getting paid. Um, obviously, number-wise, I don't, you know, I don't know the figures, but um, I know it's instead of being like, hey, I have the best relationship with you, come, you know, come be my uh, player, I'll coach you up. It's more like, hey, who can pay me the best, right? And that's all they care about now. And so that's, you know, that's kind of what to me, it's, it's changed the game. There's no loyalty anymore, and it's really hard to build teams because if the player gets mad that he's not playing, I'm leaving. I'm transferring out. Somebody will pay me more to go somewhere else and play, right? So it's really hard. You know, back in the day when you had dynasties, right, like USC or even Alabama, you know, the beginning of that whole run, they were so good because they had depth. They had they had their third their third string player was still a five star, right? Well, I remember a couple of the just in the recent somewhat recent years, uh, a couple of their second uh, their backup quarterbacks transferred to OU yep. and ended up doing extremely well. Yep. Um, yeah, that was Jalen Hurts. Yep. So he, Jalen Hurts, yeah. and mm-hmm. then uh, wasn't it uh, the the quarterback for the Miami Dolphins right now too? Uh, to Tua stayed at Alabama. Oh, he, was he did. Yeah. Yeah. So they were competing, and Tua beat out Jalen. So when Jalen graduated, he grad transferred to Oklahoma, and then had a great, you know, great. So that's not happening anymore. Like your backup quarterback no. is not. No. That. So like Jalen Hurts is a super high class guy from everything that I've ever read or heard about him. So. That was a unique situation. Most quarterbacks, if they get beat out, gone. You know, especially at quarterback, because if you're not starting, you're probably not playing anything else. Um, but even to the point now where, um, I mean, I think it was at Colorado, was it last year in Dion's first year, like over like 70 players entered the portal. Like that's not, I mean, that's a whole, they just pretty much redid the whole team. You know, got rid of the ones they didn't want, brought in the ones they wanted. And it's turning into like more of the NFL free agency type of structure than an actual, like, team building where, you know, you have guys that are sitting for a couple of years and then it's finally their turn. They don't want to wait anymore. And what, what drives me the most nuts about it is a lot of the guys are overrated as it is. They're, they're ranked high because when they were, you know, 12 years old, they were 6'3", 250 pounds, and they're bigger than everybody else, right? So they're five stars since they were in eighth grade. So from eighth grade to their senior year of high school, everybody's kissing their butt, you know, telling them how great they are. So they get to college, and they're, might, they're not even that good, but because they think they are because they've been told that, 
once they don't play, they're like, oh, I'm gone, and they leave, right? So that's what – it's becoming an issue. Um, it's good the players get paid, but it's still, to me, um, it's crazy. Like, working in college football is crazy right now. And being a second-string quarterback in college is not the best place to be, yeah. you know, but we did talk about – that if you're a second string or, maybe a, or even a third string quarterback that you can kind of prolong your career. What's the average career in the NFL? Yeah, about three and a half years of the average career. Um, you know, so that's why being a backup quarterback, you know, you last for, you know, um, you know, 10, 12 years and just kind of rack up the money. That's, that's the way to go. So somebody that's a third string second or backup quarterback or, or even just barely made it on the team and it's making 900,000 a year, a million dollars a year, whatever that is. And then somebody on your like everyday life, like your your average American, in your position now as a financial advisor, what are some of the things that that you that you find that both of them have in common? And then what are some of the biggest similarities? Would you say? Yeah, so I'll say this kind of like we talked about yesterday. Um, and what I love about this role as a financial planner, right, is where I always want to start. It's risk management, right? It's the fundamentals or the foundation. You can't build a house without a foundation, right? So no matter if you're making 30 grand a year, a million a year, whatever it is, you want to make sure you have the foundational pieces in place, right? So what does that mean? That means having a budget, right, where you have an allocated budget philosophy of whether it's what we call 70-15-15, which is 70% towards fixed and living expenses, 15 for a discretionary and 15 for goal funding per month. Um, some people could be 60, 20, 20, which is the same thing, a little bit more aggressive with the saving in, in the discretionary. Um, so having that established, right? Having an emergency fund of at least three to six months of your fixed expenses. Why is that important? Because if, if say you lose your job, now you have three months where you can pay for all your required bills to get you through until you find another job, right? Or if an unexpected medical expense or any kind of emergency pops up, you have that money set aside. So instead of diving into your credit card and getting into debt, you have that set aside, right? And then also another part of risk management, and this might not apply to everybody, but just having um, an effective and efficient debt pay down strategy. Now, again, not everybody's, you know, is in debt. Everyone's situation is different. But when you are in debt, when you have that budget, when you can kind of allocate and see what money is actually going to waste that you didn't realize, having that can help you become more efficient paying down debt, right? Because um, what we call good debt, bad debt, what we focus on first is bad debt, right? That's credit card debts because the high interest, right? So if you let that thing go, it starts compounding and growing and growing. It's just now you're stressed out every single day worrying about that, um, you know, credit card growing, right? So those are the top three right there. And then the, the last kind of two you can say is, you know, huge on, on life and disability insurance, right? Because it's things that you don't ever want to think about, like you hope it never happens. But having a plan in place for those kind of scenarios you, you, the impact it will be, you know, you can't even put into words, right? Like, for example, like if if you if something were to happen to you, right, you, your wife's going to be very sad. She's going to be upset, right? But at least she knows financially I'm okay. That's the first thing she's going to ask. If you had an advisor, she would say, hey, I, I, it's just awful. I'm extremely sad, but am I going to be okay? That's the first thing she's going to ask, right, when she meets with, you know, the financial planner or the advisor. So having that plan in place is huge. And then with disability income, the reason why that's so important is everyone wants the sexy stuff, right? So to invest and to grow your money and to get the car or the house, whatever you want, right? But you never think about what if something happens to me and I can't go to work and I can't earn my income. Now what? How do you pay the debt off? How do you pay? How do you save? How do you grow for the investments? How do you get the car? How do you do any of that stuff? If you don't have that plan in place, once it happens, you're like, man, I wish I would have done this, you know, 15 years ago. Now it's too late, right? So those kind of five things 
Um, and obviously it varies for everyone, but for the most part to the core, having a good foundation or the fundamentals will take care of everything else and set you up for the long haul. At what point would you say in your income, would you say that somebody has safely outgrown a, a budget yeah. per month? Yeah. So for me, you know, and I guess you could say it as like, if you have at that point, if you have six months of emergency fund money sitting aside in your, whether it's a savings account, a high yield savings account, money market at that point, um, I still recommend a budget just because you don't want to, as the more you make, you start adjusting your life to that. And all of a sudden now you have so many bills that if anything happens, you're, you know, you can't pay this stuff. So to me, I would still recommend the budget. Now you don't have to be super like, you know, tight with it where you're over there stressing if you spend, you know, 10 bucks at McDonald's or whatever. But at the same time, um, at least having an understanding of like, no matter what my income is, here's kind of the threshold that I'm willing to spend for my fixed and living expenses. And then at that point, everything else will take care of itself. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah. Um, I think that there's levels to it. Yes. Would you agree? Like yeah. if you're making $30,000 a year and um, like a prime example is somebody calling into to the Dave Ramsey show, right? Yeah. And, uh, and it's like somebody like that, that's in such a bad position. Like, yeah, you have to be able to say like, can I go to eat? $10 worth of McDonald's exactly. today because it, I'm only making a certain amount of income. And even though you might not have a ton of debt, it's a lot of debt for where you're at in life exactly. right there. But the more that you're making, you can adjust that, but you definitely, it, it can be one, one of the things that I heard a long time ago that has stuck with me. And it was actually by reading the compound effect by Darren Hardy. Okay. I've read that book plenty of times. And he talks about that. It's so like life can be really good because of compounding effect yep. right i mean you see it on your end all managing people's money eighth wonder of the world yep. exactly um albert einstein said that yeah. and and but it works the same way in a negative way if you have a credit card balance that you're like i'll just pay pay that off later or i'll save for that later yes. and it's like but but it works more rapidly in a negative way yes then it works in a positive way yes so you making going from 30,000 to making 130,000. Yeah. If you just just say, "Hey, I am good. I don't need a, a budget." It, it you could easily feel even worse than when you were making $30,000 a exactly. year because things just kind of went out of control. Yeah, and I saw a stat, I don't don't quote me exactly, but I believe it's between 50 and 70% of people making six figures in America are living paycheck to paycheck. The reason being is they're making more money. And they're like, oh, I can afford all this nice stuff, right? And they're just spending. They don't have an actual process or a plan in place, and they're just spending, right? Um, and they don't understand. You can still, you can, I still want you to spend your money. I still want you to enjoy your life. But at the same time, still, you know, have the budget. Follow along of like, okay, you know, here's my number per this. Like, say it's seventy percent, right? I'm not going above that for my for my mortgage and my car payment and my utilities. I'm going to stay below that, right? At that point. You know, you still have 15% of your income if you're making, you know, six figures. It's still a pretty big chunk per month to, you know, live off of and do what you want, right? And then if you have your emergency savings, you also have that there. And then, again, it's also not accounting for if you're saving for small goals, right, like a travel vacation or whatever it may be. You can also set that aside every month, right, to have that for that. So it's just, to me, the biggest thing is you never want to have that lifestyle, you know, adjustment where as your cost of, of living goes up or the money you're making goes up, now everything else you're spending goes up because, in my opinion, you want to make sure that, and that if you're making forty thousand or a hundred thousand or a million a year, that you're still I would still live like I'm making forty thousand, right? So that way, you know, you're not gonna I'm not gonna have the satisfaction maybe right now, but when I'm in my forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, I'm gonna, my life's gonna be great because now I'm gonna have that money put away. I'm gonna, I've, I've lived the right way and I'm in a good spot and I can enjoy the rest of my life, the back half of my life, the way that I want to do that, right? So um, that's kind of my beliefs and my philosophy. 
the other question I had for you, and let's put this into like a little bit of a, of of more of like in your experience. Yeah. So let's say when you were with the New York Giants, those guys that are making anywhere from a million to forty million dollar contracts, whatever yep. you know the top is, how many of those people are still acquiring loans for for things that they're getting? Yeah. So the crazy part is, and I don't obviously have the exact you know information on that, but I would, what I would say is is major, a lot of professional athletes. They, they make all that money in a short period of time, and they don't realize, like, you made all of your money. Like, most people make $2, 3000000 million over their lifetime of working, right? They're making that in a two-, three-year window, right? If their career is over at that point, you have to make that money last you until 65-plus, right? So I would say that's why a lot of people in the professional world go broke when they stop playing because they don't know how to manage the money. They don't understand. They came across a lot of money, and they're like, hey, this is great. And then at that point, they're spending and doing whatever they want and getting in debt and overspending, right, because their lifestyle, because they're making all this money. And then once they're done playing, it's like, oh, shoot, like, I can't do this anymore. And then they they get in trouble. But how many of those people do you think that are actually – because th- that's what I'm trying to get at yeah. is you have somebody that's making fifty dollars to $100,000 a year, yeah. and they're buying a $400,000 home. Yeah. And they said they, – they say most people think if I was making $2 million being a backup quarterback, yeah. I, I mean – I wouldn't need a loan. I would just pay cash for this house. Yeah. But going back to what you said on like, there's a difference between good debt and bad debt. Yeah. Like people might think that I'm just saying this because I like, I help people get mortgages on a home, but yeah. that is considered a good debt. Yes, because, it is good debt. Because it's, it's tied to an asset that it's increasing in Equity. value. Yep. And then, so what I was trying to get at is how many of those people that are making millions of dollars are still util- utilizing debt as a tool rather than, than what most people think because yeah. because people that will never make a million dollars in a year have that mentality yeah. of like oh you can't buy this this house cash or you don't have 20 percent like the less debt the yeah. better right yeah. so so yeah how many of those people of course you don't know yeah. exactly but across the nfl at this point let's say or or yeah. just major league sports how many of those people do you think actually maybe just have a financial advisor that's yeah. telling them or, or or actually utilizing that tool. And I would say a good bit, and like you said, it is good debt, right? So it, cause it's building, it's the equity, right? The equity in the house is giving you value, right? So unlike a credit card, you're not getting any value. It's it's high interest, and it's just essentially you're paying that off, and you, go, you don't get to keep, there's no money at the end of the tunnel, right? But obviously with the house, it's, you know, really good debt, low interest um, for the most part, and then, you know, obviously it's building you that wealth down the line whenever you want to sell, you know, because that's why I would say a good portion um, a good majority because, you know, I think it's a better move than just paying cash or something like that um, for something in, in that uh, realm. So, How many of these guys have financial advisors, do you think? So it's tough, right? So, you know, a lot of players. Um, I, I, can't, I can't believe that that's not like a all of them yeah, answer. It sh- yeah, it should be all of them, that's right? That's crazy. Um, so th- I would say it like this. The hardest part when you're, when you're talking to, to players, right, um, is just – so when you're any kind of professional celebrity, when you have a good status, a high status, right, everyone's in your ear, right, so everyone. So they have their friends giving them advice. They have other, you know, maybe their, their um, you know, the, the player development, you know, team at, the, at their current team or, or, or whatever, right? So they have so many people in their ears. They kind of just, they have their, you know, their, their um, I guess, their money in too many buckets, right? And that can be a problem too because you, you trust your, your best friend from high school who says this is the greatest idea ever. So you do money there, right? And then you have... Your, your player development guy puts you with this one guy. You trust him because you like that guy, right? Then your agent's calling you saying, hey, I got a guy you should talk to, right? So um, 
I would say they all probably, for the most part, have somebody they're talking to. But is it somebody that you know is is going to do the best for them or have their best interests in mind? You know, I, I can't answer that. But uh, again, you, you just never know. Especially and even in, even in the college ranks when they come out of high school, a lot of them have like handlers or seven on seven coaches who are kind of handling the recruitment. Um, so, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, do they actually have what's best for the players in mind, or are they just trying to make their pockets bigger because now they have, a you know, the, the next hot, you know, ha- the next hot um, player that's the number one player in the country that they know that if it's their guy, it's going to look really good and it'll help boost their pockets, right? So um, that's that's how I can answer that, I guess. It's just really, it, it varies, but um, they have so many people in their ears. It's crazy. What, what do you think is something that, that you got to experience working with like an NFL team that most people that watch the NFL every single weekend don't would have no idea. Yeah, I would say everyone, if you're not working in football, everyone says, oh, if I could work in football, I would go do it. I would love to do it. It's a dream job until you actually do it, right? Until you're working 80 plus hours a week, until you're working every single weekend. You never get to have time with family, friends, you have to miss everyone's wedding. You only get, you know, two weeks out of the year to vacation. Like, I mean, it's crazy. So um, everyone would love to do it, they say, until they do it. And I would say, now obviously, you know, this isn't some kind of official stat, but I would say if you ask majority of people in football, they'll be like, man, like this, you know, I only got one more year of this and I'm, and I'm getting out kind of thing, right? So it's, um, you know, everyone thinks it's great, but uh, – I would never go back personally. Uh, it's it's a it, you have no. It's just all work. There's no work life balance at all. And there, it, and you're talking across, across the board. Yeah, you're, you're not yeah. talking about just coaches or the position you have across the board. And it's even worse in college, like college because you have the recruiting. So like during like Christmas or during the summers, you have camps, you have official visits, you have unofficial visits, you have some random you know kid that's a JV player wanting a photo shoot, and you have to go do a photo shoot with the kid. You know, so like things like that. It is. I mean, absolutely brutal. And it's a lot less pay yes. in college. Yes. Which we talked about that yesterday. What keeps a college uh, coach, a college coach, rather than, you know, getting promoted to the NFL? Yeah, I would say truly it's about they don't have the connection with somebody in the NFL. But I, I can guarantee you anyone in college, if they got the, you know, the offer to go to be an NFL coach, they would leave in a second. And you see it. You know, you see a lot of these coaches making that jump. Uh, they don't want to come back because it's, it's brutal. Um, I remember actually I was having a discussion. I'm not going to name names, but with some coaches at the Giants back at the time, and uh, one of the coaches had come from college like the year prior, and he said, I, and "Somebody asked, hey, if you if they were to name you the defensive coordinator at so and so school, would you go?" He was like, "Heck to the no! I wouldn't. I don't care how much you're paying me. I'm not going back to college. Like I'm not doing it." Um, so that just kind of shows you like where the state of college football is and how much of like a grind it is right now. Because um, again, it's it's crazy. And so you actually followed in your dad's footsteps because yeah. he was a coach for how long? Yeah, so my dad played in the league for eight years, and then he coached for over 20 years. Oh, um, he played in the league? Yeah, he did. What, yeah. did, he, what, what did he play? He was a defensive back for the Houston Oilers, so now they're the Tennessee Titans now. Um, so it was unique because he played for them, and he also and then he beat them in the Super Bowl with the Rams back in 99, and then he coached for them um, from 2012 or 15. So pretty, yeah, it's crazy. And one of the uh, – is he like a really big guy? Oh, he's about my height, my size. Uh, he has, he he has, has more a of a defensive end? Defensive back. Oh, defensive back. Okay, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was like, man. Yeah, that, no. I was yeah. like, <laughs> You'd be a very small defensive end. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So, uh, so one thing that I found very, very uh, – like I, I, I found it interesting that you kind of went through your dad's career and – 
the longest job that he held was when you guys were in Nashville. So when we were in Kentucky, it was the longest. In Kentucky, yeah. and that was nine years? Nine years, yeah. Which that that's almost unheard of. What's the... What is the average life of a college or an NFL coach? Because I know your dad did yeah. both. So it's tough, right? So nowadays, especially because, again, everyone is all – that's the problem it, it, with coaching, even being the players, all of that, right? It's all about you, right? It's me, 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 right? Like I want to – you know, so a lot of coaches jump around because they're getting more money, they're getting a bigger title. There's not a lot of loyalty anymore, um, both – for players and coaches, right? So that's why it's always funny because players always make a joke like you know, everyone wants to, you know, give the players crap when they want to leave or transfer, but when the coach decides to leave, you know, go somewhere else, you know, unannounced, they're okay, right? Because, you know, they're getting more money or whatever. But, um, you know, to me, I would say on average, yeah, probably two, three years, and then they go somewhere else. Um, it used to be a lot more people were staying in places longer, but nowadays, and with all the social media and stuff too, yeah, I mean, coaches, they everybody wants that praise. Everybody wants that, you know, sense of like, I'm, I've made it, so everyone's everyone's balancing it. A lot of the older coaches will be sticking around, be more loyal, but all the young guys, yeah, they're just trying to kind of make their way up as quick as possible. Something we didn't talk about yesterday, but I'm curious to get your thoughts on, what are your thoughts on uh, Deion Sanders and his whole low thing? Uh, and for, yeah. for the people that, that haven't heard, which I mean I'm sure, but it's, you know, this uh, top, top uh, – professional athlete back in like what the 90s or so yeah, 90s, yeah. and not only in the nfl but the mlb mm-hmm. comes back out of nowhere goes and coaches a um a historical black college yep. out in mississippi State, yep. and then says you know he was getting paid pretty good yeah. there yeah and then he like turned the program around won a couple of national championships but his division two right so he he went to the f- he went to the championship his last year and lost. Actually, he was undefeated. Oh, they were fourteen and zero, I believe, and they lost. It was so it's Division One AA FCS. Um, yeah, they lost. So, but he still turned that place around. Pretty much had a winning season every year, um, and now he's at Colorado. Yeah, he goes to Colorado and that whole thing. And yeah. it started off really good. Like I was cheering for them, and then it just went downhill. Like, what are your thoughts with the whole thing? <sighs> you know, obviously, I respect. You know, he's a he's a was a great player. Um, you know. He's a smart guy. Everything he does has success or makes him money or whatever, right? Um, to me, though, it's having the reality TV show part of the program and all that stuff is just kind of like, you know, it is what it is. But, I, I you know, I don't wish him ill, but I also don't, you know, I don't really care if he wins either. Um, I, I was watching the show, actually, which is funny that I had mentioned, but – uh, you know, they had the director of player personnel and, and he steps up on in front of the team and he's like, you know, like, everybody listen to me, like, you know, cussing and yelling. I'm like, bro, who are you? Like, you are the director of player personnel. Like, if you don't sit your butt down, you know what I mean? Like, just, again, it's it's just people there. I think there's too many just goofy people that are a part of that that, uh, you know, I think they could be well, but as you notice, a lot of the coaches left, a lot of the players are leaving. They only signed, like, five high school recruits and they're just doing the, the transfer portal stuff. So, you know, um, you know, maybe he'll win there, but... It's already hard enough to win at Colorado. Um, this would be, I would say, after his son and Travis Hunter, once they're gone, it'll be tough, in my opinion, for him to kind of keep that thing sustainable with the way he's building it, where you're just pretty much losing half your team every year and replacing it. Because there's no chemistry. There's no loyalty. It's just it's, – it's, it's not how college football is meant to be. It's not how – it's supposed to be all about the, you know, the history, the tradition, you know, loyalty, camaraderie, and it's not like that anymore at all. But doesn't that kind of mirror like the NFL, like how the NFL is? Yeah, that's exactly. So I guess the difference with the NFL though is is if you make it to the NFL, you are a top one percent player. No matter if you are the practice squad player all the way to the number one player in the NFL, right? You are still the top one percent of football players. If you go to college, there might be four guys on your whole entire roster 
that are actually NFL type players, right? So it's like a lot of these guys, this is gonna be the last time these four years are the last time they're ever playing ball. You know, you might you'll have the Travis Hunters, the you know, Shadur Sanders that are gonna probably go to the NFL or whatever, right? But for the most part, this is their last chance and then they're gonna be doing things like I'm doing, right? Like working in finance or working, you know, in marketing or whatever, right? Or business or owning their own stuff. That, that this is it for them, right? So you're taking away the experience because you're just trying to make it too much of like a, if you can't win for me right now, get out of my team, right? And again, you know, it might work, but you know, to me, you still have to have that that team, that camaraderie. And again, no matter what you're doing, you're only going to have so many players that are actually NFL type players, right? So, in my opinion, it should be more about the tradition, and the history, and like camaraderie, and not so much of like, oh, I'm just trying to come here for one year and then go to the league because that's not realistic. You know, only you know so many players get drafted a year, and there's you know thousands and thousands of college players, and there's even more high school players out there, so. Um, that's my that's my focus on that. Do you think there's a big difference between the the show that you watch there and like let's say Hard Knocks on the NFL? Like, d- does it? Do you think that it's um, it not benefits the NFL teams, but it costs the same amount of distraction or silliness? Yeah, I stuff? think it's the exact same thing. To be really, honest. yeah, I think it's pretty much. I mean, you know, you're the cameras on you the whole time. You know, nothing's really private, um, and you and then a lot of the people because. Also, I remember it's kind of like an interview as well for coaches, for players, everybody. Because you know, if you're getting recorded, or you're having an interview, you're talking, people are watching, right? So you have a lot of people like that director, player, personnel guy, like going up and trying to be all loud and obnoxious, like to like, bro, like you're a director, player, personnel, you're not even a coach. Like, what are you doing, right? Like, you go anywhere else that's actually like normal, and that doesn't happen, you know. So, um, you know, and they're just trying to get just the trying. 15 yes. minutes. Yeah, and I, you Dang. know, and I don't know the guy personally, so I don't want to sit here and like, you know, I don't know him. But at the same time, it's like. On, bro. Like, so what landed your dad um, in uh, Kentucky yeah. for the nine years was that he was actually with St. Louis before. Yeah. Right? St. Louis Rams. That's actually where my, my um, uh, in-laws live. Yeah. And I never got to go to a Rams game. They left before that happened. <laughs> but the reason why he landed there is because something that happens more often than not is a new – whether it's a new GM, a new owner, a new head coach, or whatever comes in, and they just kind of want to, you know, start over with new people. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what happened there. But your dad had connections that took him to Kentucky, and yeah. then, and then kept them there nine years. Yeah. So one of the biggest things that you had to go through yeah. was that something similar like that happened to you at the at the New York Giants. Yeah. So. Walk me through like how that because now of course it's kind of easier to look back on that because you're in a completely different. Um, season of your life, yeah. you're a financial planner, you're about to become a, a dad. Yeah. Um, you've been a stepdad for the last, you know, couple of years, um, which congratulations, by the way. Um, wh- but, but take me back to that, to that time. Yeah. And like, how, how did you cope with that? And, and what truly made you say like, Hey, I think my time here is done. Yeah. So, it, you know, obviously I can kind of mentioned earlier working for the NFL was always a dream of mine. I always wanted to do it. Um, got the opportunity to work with the giants that I was so grateful and, and especially with the role, you know, getting to do so much more than I thought I'd ever get to do. Um, but obviously that year we went four and 13 or five and 12, whatever, one of the two, but not good enough. Um, our GM retires, uh, you know, retired and, um, our head coach, Joe judge got let go. So when you bring in new people, you kind of always know like, uh Oh, like, they could have their own guys for these roles, and especially for my role because it's such like an entry level role. A lot of these guys are, have favors with you know their friends. They know that they, they to kind of get in these roles. So essentially, they got hired in January. 
I worked from January through the draft, so till May 1st with them, right? So I did everything they wanted, you know, whatever. We got the deal done, right? Come May 1st, I, me and my other guy in the role, we get called in. They're like, hey, you know, you guys are great, but we're going a different direction. Um, you know, we have some guys that we never want to bring in, but we still want to help you guys get jobs elsewhere, you know, in the league, um, and we want you to stay until May 31st. So I had to stay a full month at a place and do work. Like, they were, like, expecting you to still work. Like, you can't come in there and just mope and, and not do anything because, you know, it builds a, you know, because they would pretty much, whenever you would go to interview elsewhere, they, they would have no problem to be like, hey, you know, the last month he was here, he was not doing what he's supposed to do, which is, in my opinion, completely wrong. I think that is a joke that you can be let go and then expected to still do everything you're supposed to do. Um, but regardless of that, so I had to, like, film practice and make, uh, you know, um, roster cards and do all this stuff and go to these um, um, medicals that downtown that I didn't want to have to do, right? But all the stuff I didn't want to do, um, and the first day I was pretty upset. I was, you know, I don't say I was moping, but I, you could definitely tell I was kind of like, man, like, I want to get out of here right now. Um, and then our video guy pulled me over and he's like, man, like, you know, the biggest asset you have is your personality. You're always happy. You're always in a good mood. He was like, don't let them see you down. Uh, and he told me that I was like, man, you're right. Like, you know, I, I, I am upset. I am, you know, pretty, you know, a, you know, aggravated, you know, pissed off, but I was like, I'm never going to let somebody see me down. Right. And it, and I taught from my, my, I guess I learned, or the biggest lesson I learned from that was that no matter your situation, you know, God's got a plan for you. It's going to work out. And as long as you, you know, control what you can control, um, everything else will take, uh, take care of itself. I um, mean, it'll be all right. I mean, obviously, you know, that led me to, I went to Auburn, you know, actually got more pay when I was there, which is awesome. Uh, and then now I'm here, um, you know, with my girlfriend, her daughter, we have a daughter on the way. So um, life's crazy. You know, you never think of it, but experiences from what I've learned, everything happens for a reason. And you never realize that until you look back five, 10 years, you're like, man, if that didn't happen, I wouldn't be here. Um, and that really was like the biggest eye opener for me. Cause up until that point, it was kind of like I was moving up. Like I went from pro football focus and then I went to East Tennessee state then Michigan State, then the NFL. So I was like, man, I'm, I'm going up and up and up. I had this great role. I was doing all these things that pretty much area scouts do. And um, then I had a, you know, a quick, hard fall just down where I was like, man. Um, but to me, that's it's in a, to this day, that's why I always smile, always have a good person. I'm always like, you know, in a good mood, have a good personality because you never know um, who's watching. In the same time, no matter what my mood is, I don't want anyone else to see me down. Uh, I want to make sure that I'm always looking like I'm in a good mood and I'm optimistic regardless of what I'm thinking in my head, right? So that's kind of what that taught me. Yeah, and the reason I I wanted to kind of hear that is because so many people, it's they hate going through the valleys, yeah. but without those valleys, those peaks don't, um, they're not as enjoyable. Yeah. And people don't realize, like, I'm, I'm hoping that at least one person listening to this is going through a hard time and yeah. listens to you and, 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 and has that hope that, hey, I'm going through this for a reason. Yeah. And and I'm I'm gonna get through it and I'm gonna yeah. be better because of it. Absolutely. So, man, I really appreciate you coming out again. And uh, the last question I have for you is yeah. for anybody listening. Um, I know we talked a little bit on the finance side of things and everything. What what is one thing when you're meeting with clients um, that your let's say average person doesn't really think about? And then when that whenever they meet with with you or a financial advisor, they 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 kind of like. It's like, whoa, why didn't I think of that? Yeah. And this is like just something that I can change yep. it to just be able to make my financial life a little bit better. What, what is something like that, that? Yeah, so I would say overall, 
pretty much the risk management, you know, which is like the budget, emergency fund, knowing what things about it. But the biggest thing in that bucket of the risk management, right, is the budget, right? Uh, you know, so many people, you know, don't realize how much money they actually have that they could be saving or putting towards other things because they're spending it because they're not tracking it. So that to me is like pretty much universally like the number one thing where if you actually follow the budget and follow the, you know, philosophies that people teach, you'd be like, oh, wait, I actually have an extra thousand bucks I didn't realize I had that was just going towards shopping or whatever, right? So that to me is probably the number one thing. Is there somewhere that you would lead them to, to maybe kind of start? Of course, they can reach out to you and stuff yeah. like that, but but um, where, where would be the best way to start if you're wanting to start a budget? Yeah, so to me, um, so it, it, it's, I'm trying to think. So Dave Ramsey, he has a budget that's pretty, you have to pay for it. Um, but to me, honestly, I would just, I would just go and learn, uh, whether it's YouTube, reading a book, a podcast, um, a lot of people talk about 70, 15, 15, like I mentioned, um, obviously you can come to me, that'd be, yeah, that'd be huge. But that to me, is just really like what I would do when I was first starting out, just learning about the financial, um, you know, world, right. I didn't, I didn't go to college for finance. I didn't get a degree in finance. Um, and honestly, until I was probably 23, I didn't even really, you know, care about this. I would just, oh, I have 2000 bucks in my account. Perfect. And two weeks it gets replenished, right? That's kind of how I live my life. Um, but I would just, I just researched and I researched and it's so easy to do your own research. It takes a little bit of time and you can be light years ahead of everyone else. If you just take some time to do that, right? They don't teach in the school for a reason because they want people to spend money, right? That's how, you know, how the economy works. You spend money, the more you spend, the better the economy is going, right? So, yeah. So if you just take the time, um, to look up philosophies, um, to look up like people like Dave Ramsey to, to meet with financial planners, you know, like myself. Um, it, you know, most of the time it doesn't cost anything and you, you'd be surprised at least the worst case scenario, you leave there more educated than when you got there. So, um, that's what I can say for that. That's great, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you? Yeah. So I have two Instagrams. I have Cole A. Brown 12 and then Cole Brown underscore NM. Uh, they're my two accounts. Um, you know, reach out to me on Instagram that way. I have a Facebook profile page as well, uh, which is my name. Um, that's kind of the main three that I use. Uh, also LinkedIn, it's just my name as well, but, um, would love to, you know, help out any way I can answer any questions from, you know, risk management all the way through to retirement planning. So, um, you have my information and uh, hit me up. So. Good deal, man. I appreciate you coming on. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. 